You are Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Hawkeye Nation, to a Friday morning episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast, your daily podcast covering your Iowa Hawkeyes on the Locked On Sports Network. As always, I am your host, Andrew Wade, and excited for this episode today. But first, I want to thank you all for making the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast your first listen every single day. You can find the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast for free wherever you get podcast at and also on YouTube Monday through Friday. All you need to do is search Locked On Hawkeyes. And on today's show, we kind of switched it up a little bit, moved our crossover episode to a Friday. So on today's show, we are joined by Gophers guru Daniel House. He does a phenomenal job of breaking down teams, um, breaking down the Gophers, and also breaking down their opponents. So you're going to really enjoy this crossover episode as we dive into everything you need to know about Minnesota as we prepare for tomorrow's game. Before we get to that, though, I want to thank our sponsors of hosting the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast because this show is brought to you by McDonald's proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It is an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I am loving it. So let's get into it though. We have a very good episode for you. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into it. Daniel House of Gophers Guru right now. Well, y'all, we are joined here by a recurring guest. We've had Daniel House on before, but Daniel, uh, we're here to talk about the Iowa-Minnesota football game. It is going to be a very interesting game. I think that's why I love having you on here, because I want to know what to expect from Minnesota football. But before we get into that, uh, first, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. It's it's rivalry week here. Minnesota fans are always fired up for the trip down to Iowa City, trying to win in Iowa for the first time since 1999. I can't believe that I was three years old the last time the Gophers won in Iowa. That's uh, that's rough, and I hope it. I hope you uh, you still have that streak going, right? Because I, I don't think I'm hoping there's not a, an Iowa letdown this weekend against Minnesota. But that's why we're here because Minnesota has been one of the weirdest teams this year. I mean, you lose to Bowling Green. I think, wow, Minnesota is as bad as I thought they were. Because you played the Ohio State game, Ohio State was coming out hot. And honestly, it could have been a lot worse, but I felt like Minnesota was able to keep back in. I believe there was a really key fourth down conversion early on in the game where basically P.J. Fleck was like, we got to do this, otherwise we're out of this game already in the first half. Kept things going. You lose to Bowling Green. You lose to Illinois. I mean, what's going on with this Minnesota football team, man? It has been a weird season. It's up and down, and you just don't know what to expect. The only consistent thing has been the defense. They played really well right now. They're third among power, fourth among Power Five schools in uh, rush defense EPA. So they're doing a really good job of stopping the run. And Jack Gibbons has been a key addition. Uh, transfer from Abilene Christian linebacker, really talented player who's fit extremely well within the scheme. The defense hasn't been the issue. It's just been the inconsistency of Minnesota's offense. And you look at the Bowling Green game, the the whole idea was, all right, give Minnesota something that has not been on film before. We're going to show some light pressure, you know, move the defensive line, do some things, you know, coverage wise that Minnesota had not witnessed before. Well, the same thing, Illinois played a lot of single high man coverage and Minnesota didn't capitalize upon it. They were playing a lot of cushion coverage. There were throws out there, especially on early downs or six to eight yards off the line of scrimmage and just 
not getting the quick passing game going, trying to be vertical. Their average depth of target was like 13 and a half yards, almost 14 early on in the game, which tells you that they're just throwing the ball too much downfield. And then uh, Illinois, they had uh, Sidney Brown all over the place. Robin, they're totally shutting down the RPO game. That's what you see with a lot of teams that play Minnesota is, you know, they're going to rob the safety. They're going to rob maybe a linebacker and, and spy a little bit to try to shut that down. And Minnesota hasn't countered by throwing enough outside the numbers and Illinois was aggressive sending pressure and they didn't run many screens behind it. So it's just every game this year, somebody's done a little bit different scheme and Minnesota's either adjusted or they haven't. And when they haven't adjusted, the, the results have been that stark contrast that uh, you, you see on the, on the schedule when you look at Minnesota's losses. Yeah, it's interesting. When they were playing Ohio State, I felt like Tanner Morgan was doing a pretty good job of attacking the zone coverage against Ohio State, which is a team made up of a ton of four-star and five-star athletes. Um, you mentioned playing a lot of single high man. Iowa doesn't traditionally play a lot of man. We play a lot of cover two zone. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their eyes to the football, but we're a little bit better at it than I would argue most schools are. Does that give you any excitement or concern going into this game versus Iowa? It all comes back to the quick passing game and involving tight end Brevin Span Ford. You know, I think he's a player that hasn't been utilized enough in the scheme, trying to attack up up the seam, you know, create vertical routes where you got guys coming in underneath it. You know, I've been talking a lot about, you know, high-low concepts against the cover two. And I, I watch film and see how Iowa in the last game using a little three-three-five look too. And and Davis has been phenomenal. I mean, you look at him as a rotational player. I've been super, super impressed. Uh, Joe Evans, actually. I've yeah, been I was like, very impressed. I was like, who him. is Davis? I'm thinking, I was like, probably Joe Evans. Yeah. I'm like, gosh, I, I, I'm doing all these all these uh, uh, discussions about different teams and all mixed up. But Joe yep. Evans had nine pressures against Iowa State, eight against Northwestern. A good rotational player with some juice. But I like that that package, they're able to keep Justin Jacobs on the field because I think he's got a really unique skill set, a lot of length, range. So the biggest thing that I've noticed while studying Iowa is, you know, they're really good on first down. They're limiting the amount of success that teams have there. So when they get to second and eight plus, they like to send pressure in those situations. So I'm expecting Phil Parker to come out with some sort of different wrinkle that Minnesota hasn't witnessed before. Maybe it's a different coverage scheme. Maybe it's some sort of pressure that they haven't witnessed before. That's when Minnesota's had a lot of trouble is when there's different wrinkles and they haven't used that quick passing game because they, they like to run the football and they get into that, you know, rut where, you know, I will, they play so disciplined defensively. They want you to run the ball and then get you behind the sticks and then just play really sound and detailed in the back end. So Minnesota has to come out passing the football, high percentage plays, quick hitting stuff to get Tanner Morgan in a rhythm because he's very, very talented when he can be in a rhythm. It's just when he's trying to climb a hill and if, Minnesota gets behind. They've struggled a lot this year trying to just get back into the game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because what Iowa prefers to do is on defense, they want you to try to have a 13 or 14 play drive. If you can do go 13 or 14 plays dinking and dunking and going five yards down the field with those quick passes, honestly, like, you know what? Good for you because you're not going to be able to do that consistently every single drive. And most okay. college quarterbacks can't stay patient enough to be able to handle that and can't make throws consistently enough without making a mistake in 13 or 14 plays that plays really well into what Iowa's strategy is. You mentioned Tanner Morgan and, and wanting to do the quick passing. What I looked at from him is kind of interesting. It feels like anything over 20 yards, he hasn't had much success in. he hasn't had 
very much success in going deep. So to you, it is really keeping those short passes, right? Because when I look at it, four interceptions, two touchdowns, not a very high completion percentage over 20 yards. Is there any merit to that at all from uh, Tanner Morgan's perspective? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is in 2019, he was one of the better quarterbacks throwing deeper down the field. And, you know, when you Tyler have Johnson and you have the explosive weapons. But you know what the bigger thing was there, too? Schematically, Minnesota had that RPO game. And when teams started to sit on that RPO game, they stretched teams outside the numbers and then hit vertically a lot. And right now, Minnesota's passing game hasn't been as layered. We saw flashes of it where, you know, they got that RPO glance route stuff going on where they're able to, to get in a rhythm. And then when teams start sitting on that, you're able to stretch them down the field more. While teams are starting to understand that, okay, I'm going to move the safety down into the box. I'm going to play with inside leverage. I'm going to get the backers involved to disrupt these throws. And Minnesota has to adjust by throwing more outside the numbers. And I think that's been the thing under Mike Sanford, the biggest noticeable difference with his offense versus rocks is they don't throw outside the numbers as much. They love to try to force that ball over the middle and the, the data supports it too, that they don't throw as much uh, in those situations. So it, the, the scheme sometimes hasn't suited the strengths of Morgan because you don't want to be in drop back passing all the time and long to go distances on second down. You look at last game, 8.2 yard to go distance on second down. And then it just elevates up to like 10 plus yards on third down when you're behind the sticks like that, it's very hard to be successful. And Minnesota just hasn't been able to even get the screen game going because teams have been so aggressive. They haven't countered with that. Uh, we'll, we'll see, though. I'm expecting Minnesota will probably unveil some wrinkles for this game just because uh, they, they're probably saving some stuff, you know. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Daniel. I want to remind you that this episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get a tasty, affordable food item. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of french fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team or the away team can come to recharge. It's a place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel personally growing up after every baseball game we were going to mcdonald's in college after a night out we were going to mcdonald's to see where afties were and even now with my wife pregnant we are going there almost every friday and saturday because she is craving mcdonald's and i absolutely love it so we're getting mcdonald's a lot even last weekend we went to get mcdonald's for breakfast and i saw our neighbor there as well so we shared uh you know uh, sausage egg and muff or sorry sausage egg McMuffin sandwich it was truly delicious and that's why McDonald's is truly amazing so head over to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect and did someone say locked on Hawkeyes watch party da -da -ba -ba -ba. I am loving it and I want to thank you all again for making the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast your first listen every single day. You can find the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast for free wherever you get podcast at and also on YouTube by searching Lockdown Hawkeyes Absolutely. You mentioned you mentioned when they get down in a second and eight, a third and eight, you kind of typically get in more of a traditional pass set. One of the things I noticed by looking at PFF, and that's not the, the end-all, be-all, but Minnesota's offensive line is supposed to be one of the strengths of this team is from everything I heard coming into this, this season. And when you get in traditional pass sets, the bottom drops out for three of your five linemen. The PFF grade is below 51 for three of your five starting offensive linemen. Is that simply a fact that teams are putting pressure and bringing pressure in different schematic ways against Minnesota? Or what, what is that? 
Yeah, the the Schluter and uh, Daniel Falele both haven't been very consistent on the edge. Last game was really bad, and Minnesota has not handled movement well from the defensive lines when you're stunting and twisting and also sending pressure from different directions. I thought Illinois, what they wanted to do was Minnesota's lost so many running backs. I mean, they're all the way down to Kai Thomas and Bucko Irving right now. Where's, where was Kai Thomas at the dive chart at the beginning of the season? The, he, it was like fifth or sixth string running backs. <laughs> they're all the way down there now because yeah. they lost Mo, Mo Ibrahim. They lost Trey Potts and they lost Bryce Williams. Now Preston Jellin probably would have been involved. He, uh, injured himself in the in the offseason and then cam wiley transferred so yeah it's like six or seven actually on the depth chart right now so minnesota what what teams are doing is all right send some blitz pressure force the running backs to have to pick this up do some different things and that caused some problems against illinois too so it's it's a lot of different factors i think the best offensive lineman minnesota has is john michael schmitz's center and it and the same thing with iowa you know tyler linderbaum like both this is the battle of two really good centers i mean linderbaum is one of my favorite guys to study schmitz is really good too so uh, Minnesota, I would say what, what you want to do is if you're Iowa, you want to get Minnesota in like second and eight, third and six plus, and you want to just be able to send pressure, send different looks, mix things up. That's when Minnesota's had a lot of problems this season is when they've had to adjust to a lot of smoke and mirror. I love him, man. And we've definitely seen Phil Parker has gotten a little bit creative. Joe Evans, uh, kind of a, a non, not a traditional Iowa defensive end, uh, underweight, no. more of like he really should be a three-four outside linebacker, but Iowa doesn't have their three a three-four, so he kind of plays kind of a stand-up defensive end spot um, it, quite a bit. It's fun to watch him play. I, I was I was watching the film, going, okay, this is a little bit of a different wrinkle. And when they use that three-three-five, they they take advantage of his skill set and use it creatively, and then they're able to get some of their other defensive playmakers in better positions like that that type of creativity was something that that struck me especially when you saw it like four times I believe against Northwestern when I was watching the game back uh, I, I was super impressed and I thought well this is the type of wrinkle maybe they're trying to roll this out a little bit ahead of Minnesota yeah Joe Evans had eight pressures against Northwestern alone uh his story is incredibly interesting I don't know if you know it but uh he was actually a walk-on played quarterback at Ames High School walked on to Iowa transitioned to linebacker and then all of a sudden was playing defensive end um slash three four outside linebackers definitely an interesting uh situation and story we talked a little bit about this passing game I want to ask you about Chris Ottman Bell um every year Minnesota's had a pretty good wide receiver Tyler Johnson Rashad Bateman uh now you have Chris Ottman Bell Chris Hoffman Bell hasn't really put up as much production as I would expect. He had an 11 catch 103 yard performance against Nebraska, but outside of that, he's been pretty quiet. One catch in three games, two catches in another game, and then twice having four catches. What's going on with uh, Chris Hoffman Bell? Well, he's been in and out with injury. Uh, he missed the first game versus Ohio state and then he was battling his way back and then he got nicked up and then, now he's hurt again. He practiced today, so that's good news for Minnesota that he's he's available. But I think what the big thing is with Bell, one, Minnesota doesn't pass the ball a lot. They're a run-first identity team, and Ottman Bell's getting a lot of attention in the scheme because I don't think Minnesota's receivers are at that caliber that they normally are. You know, you're trying to – you're seeing the emergence of Mike Brown Stevens, but I still think he's got a, a long way to go there. Daniel Jackson's a young receiver, Dalen Wright, a transfer from Texas A&M. He's just been trying to figure out how to play the position. He's so athletic, has a ton of talent, but 
all those moving pieces in the wide receiver room has led to some, you know, continuity things too, I think, because Minnesota schematically hasn't had that consistency. And I think that's hurt him a bit, but you, you, you know, that teams are, are bracketing Chris Ottman bell. They're, they're putting him as the emphasis in the scheme and then making some of these other guys get open. And I, I just, I don't think, I think Ottman bell has been more effective in the quick game when, when Minnesota has passed early and then slowly turned the dial to being more physical that's the problem Minnesota's got into in games is they try to run, 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 have low success rates throughout the early stages of the game. And then they get behind and they're, they're behind the sticks and then they're, they're trying to scramble up. And that's, that's a recipe for beating Minnesota. Illinois laid it right out for you. I said, that was the disastrous scenario was get down early, not have many possessions and then not maximize them. I mean, last week, I think it was like 1.75 points per opportunity. So how often they're able to score where they get past the opponent's 40 yard line. And that's just not efficient enough. You got to be able to get some more points there. And, and Minnesota has been so rocky offensively. It is really interesting. Um, you mentioned, Oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the bracketing. Uh, <laughs> we don't bracket. I don't know if you saw Iowa versus Purdue, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Iowa doesn't believe in putting two guys on anyone talented, apparently, um, which is, whatever, but we should be getting Riley Moss back. Sounds like he'll be back, which will be a big benefit. The last three games without Riley Moss, um, we've seen three of our four worst coverage grades uh, since the season started. So Riley Moss getting back is going to be a huge um, advantage for the Iowa Hawkeyes as they take on Minnesota. We could see a bit more man as well. We, we saw that against Purdue. We needed to get pressure. They put Iowa in more man, which is something we don't typically see. But when you're in man coverage and David Bell gets the ball and you can't bring him down to that first tackle, you're screwed. So hopefully we don't see something like that happen with Chris Ottman Bell. Um, one other thing I want to touch on is the defense. So Minnesota's defense has been a lot better this year. Last year was a lot of young guys. You lost several guys, to the NFL um, struggling a little bit on the defensive side of the football last year, this year significantly improved. I want to talk about the defensive line because they have 130 pressures Looks like 21 sacks in that defensive line um, and mostly led by Thomas Rush and Boy Mafe, uh, seven sacks and six sacks. Minnesota 59th in sack percentage um, in the nation. What are your thoughts on this defensive line? How have they gotten pressure? Are they doing it just from their standard defensive line or are they bringing additional pressure from um, other areas? That's a really good question. I'd, I'd say the biggest change with Minnesota is the defensive line, and they invested in it. Niles Pinckney from Clemson, a transfer captain on that team to be able to get him was a huge lift to a team that didn't perform very well within the interior the previous season. So pairing him up with D'Angelo Carter, who I think is one of the more underrated defensive tackles in the Big Ten, he's playing at a really high level. And Boy Mafia, you mentioned just the athletic traits, the freakiness that he has. Uh, a very unique skill set that Minnesota has utilized. And then Thomas Rush on a rotational basis. And it says Yatome well has made a lot of progress playing more physical against the run. Also, you're seeing some better technique in, in as a pass rusher. So Minnesota's done a nice job of rushing collectively, pushing the pocket, setting its strong edges, and limiting the ability for quarterbacks to step up and have escape lanes. There hasn't been play extension. They're rushing really well together. And I think that's the thing that you notice about the Gophers defense is every level's in sync. They're communicating real well. Joe Rossi's a really good defensive coach. I think there are going to be a lot of teams interested in trying to lure him away from Minnesota. And I think he could be a head coach down the road. I mean, this guy, he puts in the work. He, he's got a great story coming from working his way up at small schools in Pennsylvania. I did a huge story on him. He's a fascinating guy. And I think 
he's he's been a big X factor in getting this defense where it needs to be. The, the technique that this group plays with is fantastic. They're super disciplined. Defense has not been the problem. The defense yeah. has adjusted. You look at even the Illinois game, they're coming out in stretch zone, and, and the, the linebackers are just getting a little bit too far up the field, over-pursuing able to fix that and then didn't give up a point the rest of the way after scoring on the two, the opening two drives. So, you know, Minnesota's defense will keep them in games. All right, y'all, one more pause before we wrap up our conversation with Daniel House. I wanted to remind you all that betonline.ag is back and they are better than ever. They have a new web interface for the start of basketball season, plus more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline.ag remains my number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So when I'm telling you how to bet, you've got to go to BetOnline.ag, place those bets, put some money in your pocket. And right now, if you have not signed up with BetOnline.ag yet, you have to go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right. You can put some money in your pocket by betting. You also just put money in your pocket by signing up. So from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline.ag is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And if you haven't done this by now, You've got to. I've been telling you about this thing for a very long time. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. If you haven't tried it now, why not? You are absolutely missing out. I know it says it's a protein bar, but it does not taste like one. It's not chalky. It's not waxy. It's not plain hard to choke down. A Built Bar is soft. It's covered in 100% real chocolate. And when you bite into it, you know you're eating something different. It's more of an experience, one that you'll enjoy. In fact, you'd swear you're eating a candy bar. Like I said, I would not be telling you about how amazing these Built Bars are if I wasn't eating one almost every single day because they're that delicious. Built Bars are also really good for you. They're low-carb, low-calorie, low-fat, low-sugar, and high in protein. All the healthy benefits on top of being just purely delicious. And this month, they're coming out with a new flavor every three to four days. So even if you've bought Built Bars before, you've got to check out the new flavors they have coming out. And you can do that by going to Built.com. That's B-U-I-L-T.com. And use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. And you'll get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. In regards to that defense, I did notice that it looks like, according to PFF, that tackling has been an issue. So I want to get a sense from you. Has tackling been a concern? Because Minnesota, one of the, honestly, the worst teams in the nation in terms of of, of PFF grade and tackling. Um, Several guys, Tyler Newbin has a 41.9 at tackling grade. Justice Harris has a 29.9 tackling grade, 10 and 11 missed tackles between them. Has that been a concern that you've noticed? Or is that just something that has just kind of played out a little bit funky? I think one of the things with that is the, the context of the film is that like they're in a position where they have to make a hero tackle or, you know, someone screws up in the front seven and you got a guy not controlling a gap and that guy's not in a very advantageous position to make the play. I think Newbin has been a little bit more erratic as a tackler, but I think in general, the team has tackled pretty well. Uh, the Northwestern game was a little bit leaky in that category, but this team plays very fundamentally sound at every area and they're disciplined. So uh, I think the tackling uh, is something that that is actually a strength of this team. Interesting. I love it. That's a good opera. A good, a good segue of PFF is not always the answer. It's just one facet of mm-hmm. the, the equation. Um, so you talked about the defensive line and getting pressure and staying in their lanes. Uh, I know you watch a lot of film. You've seen <laughs> Alex Padilla now one game. Um, yeah. 
does that excite you or concern you that we don't have a tree back there anymore? I, I think Padilla brings a lot of intrigue to the position and just being able to, you know, see, I, I love that one throw he made that, that quick rollout. Uh, yeah. The rollout. That was one of my favorite throws. Again, I'm like, okay, this guy definitely has some talent and yeah. he gives you a different dimension than, you know, Petrus. Petrus is just like when you get pressure in his face and you get him behind the sticks, this guy shows some confidence. He looked, it didn't look too big for him. I think there's some moments where, you know, he's just got to get used to playing with the pocket poise and that type of thing. But I, you can tell that, like he's definitely been brought up and trained pretty well, like going through progressions and getting out of the next read. Like that's the thing where I noticed with Petrus is like there are times where he's just locked in yep. and doesn't move off that read or makes a bad decision, tries to gamble in a spot and gets burned where, you know, I think the biggest thing while evaluating Iowa's offense and looking at it in detail was like, they have not been good on early downs and then they put themselves behind the sticks and then, the O-line has been inconsistent. You know, the last six games, you look at their havoc rates. They're not very good. They're in the bottom half of the nation in that. And they just, you know, they, they got to try to find a way to be more rhythmic on early downs. I think that starts by passing the ball a little more. Maybe Padilla gives you that element because I don't think it's an issue of skill talent that you have at wide receiver because you got Tyrone Tracy, you got Nico Regani. Like, you have some good players that you can utilize. It's just – I feel like Peters is really holding you back. And, and I think that Padilla provides intrigue. And I think they'll probably roll some things out that, you know, Minnesota will probably have to adjust to. Yeah. Um, couldn't agree more. A couple of things on that point. I'm actually having Alex Padilla as quarterback coach, Tim Jenkins on uh, for my show on Friday. He's going to break down all of his film, which will be really exciting. Uh, he's been working with Tim for, for quite some time. So um, when you talk about that training, that development, he's a coach's kid working with another quarterback coach as well, who's played in the NFL, had that experience. Yeah. So you can see some of that development from him. Um, I would agree with you. I, I've mentioned this before. Typically an Iowa team wants to run, run, run to set up the pass. I think with this Iowa squad, especially with Tyler Goodson being really a boomer bust runner, I mean, he has been stuffed behind the line more than any Iowa running back in the last 12 years. Uh, you need to set up the run by throwing early and often and making those completions. And with Spencer Petrus, one of the things I've noticed, if the guy is not wide open, he doesn't want to throw the football. Whereas we saw with Alex Padilla, there were several throws where he, there was one spot the ball could be at and he placed it just beautifully in there. He also gave his guys opportunities to go up and make plays. Throwing that deep, the fly route to Keegan Johnson and saying, you know what? Yeah. I know you. You're going to go up and grab that. If you don't grab it, no one's grabbing that. That is something that we haven't seen from this Iowa offense. So it adds another element. You mentioned as well uh, the, the the pressure from the defensive line. Spencer Petrus cannot escape the pocket. I mean, it, it is just – it is one of the most I – mean, I thought Nate Stanley was not mobile. Whoa. Nate Stanley looks like a freaking Pro Bowl running back compared to Spencer Peters yeah. back there. Alex Padilla provides that ability to be on the run and move. And man, when he throws with his feet, when he's running, I mean, it is, it's a beautiful throw. So it definitely adds an, ele an element and a dimension to this Iowa offense. It will be interesting to see how does Brian Ferentz call this play? How, how does Brian Ferentz call this game? Because it definitely changed when Alex Padilla was there, we saw a lot more quick things. We also saw him do those bootlegs, which we have not seen in a couple of years now. Um, it just adds a whole different dynamic to this offense. Yeah. And, and I, I, I agree with you just as someone that's studied and been an outsider, I think, you know, you watch Padilla and you go, okay, you're able to add that dimension. Like you said, with the bootleg game, then you got those crossing routes like that ties in well to stretch zone and you're able to 
open things up. And I remember listening to an interview, I believe that Fer- Brian Ferentz did talking about how they looked this off season, I believe, and wanted to pass a little bit more on first and second down and how he feels like that's important. And I can definitely see, you know, Iowa has an analytics guy on staff, I believe. And you can definitely see that like they, they, they want to get in that direction, but I think Spencer Peters maybe limited them just a little bit and how they want to run their offense, exactly how they want to do it. And now I feel like maybe they think they can shake it up here with a chance. A West is still open playing Minnesota. There's not a lot of film on this. They can roll some different things out and get back to the, to the way they want to play football, maybe with a little bit more of a modern twist. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So what is your prediction for this game? I think Iowa wins the game about 20 to 17. I just, I don't know. I can't see it from Minnesota's offense yet going down to Kinnick against a really disciplined defense. If if Minnesota wins this game, it's because their quick passing game's going on early downs, they're on schedule, and then they're able to slowly turn the dial, run the ball, be physical. You look at Iowa's metrics and they're, they're like dead last in every metric offensively right now. You know, I think that Minnesota's pass rush could cause a lot of problems. I'm looking at, you know, like Mason Richmond being out. Yep. And now you're going to be relying upon Jack Plum. Who's atrocious. To, yeah. And that's the matchup that I'm watching is a Sezi versus him. Boy, maybe get him matched up over there as well. Minnesota's strength is the defensive line, and I feel like you can really exploit this. I know a lot of Iowa fans, when I did I did an appearance a while back, and they're like, oh, man. I, I said Iowa's offensive line, I think, is going to have some groin pains this year. This isn't going to be an offensive line where you're, like, absolutely solid. I mean, Linderbaum's amazing. Don't get me yep. wrong. Like, he's a phenomenal player. But, like, the edge spots, you, you know, you look at DeJong, and he's easily probably the worst pass protector they have there. You could argue. And I mean, Minnesota's edge edge uh, rushers are really good. And I think, you know, Joe Rossi sends a lot of simulated pressure. So he's going to make it look like you, know, you send him five or six guys and, you know, drop a drop a defensive end and bring pressure the other way. So that's something that you'll see a lot. And I think Minnesota, if they win this game, it's because of the pass rush, but I just, I don't have that confidence and field position too. Both these teams are really good in field position Maybe you create a takeaway here or there. This thing is will be close, and it can be swayed by field position and turnover, special teams play, battle of the Aussie punters. That, yep. That's the great storyline, too. Absolutely, man. Um, I would just say agreed on our, our tackle front. It has, been, it has been bad watching those guys. And against Wisconsin, the team that does bring a lot of simulated pressure with that 3-4 defense, they could – I mean, there were times – I'm not kidding you. Watch it. It was so bad to watch the tape where our guys just mm-hmm. watched the guy go by him. Or one time our guard hit the guy, our tackle also put one hand on him and they just let him go right on through and just destroyed Spencer. I'm like, y'all like we had, we had one guy and two guys on him. At least one of you block him. Um, yeah. But that's what happens when you have three, a three, four defense, you have linebackers. You don't know where the pressure is coming from. And it confuses a young offensive line and an offensive line that we are continuing to continue to we're continue to rotate it i mean yep. we, we have not really found a great five-man group that we can say we're good with them we were getting to it we decided that nick young was not going to be the guy we put jack plum in there then mason richmond gets hurt all right mason richmond was just start mason richmond was just Move starting to really yeah just starting to turn the corner now we put jack plum on the left side jack plum is a converted tight end and i anyone who's listening to the show who's listened to me before I have never, and I don't want to talk bad about. I have not said a single good thing about Jack Plum. His tape was terrible last year. 
It's been terrible this year. He just gets destroyed all the time. Tape backs it up. The analytics back it up. I'm just not impressed with our tackles. So that's my rant for the day. I'm, I'm glad that, I, that I'm not being outlandish because I just <sighs> felt like entering the season that that was the biggest question mark one could argue about Iowa was whether that offensive line was going to come together. And even Ferentz hinted at that before the season saying, mm-hmm. hey, a couple injuries here, there. Don't have that depth that you're accustomed to as you're trying to develop guys up. And they, you know, what surprised me too is Iowa has not run the ball like they traditionally do. They're not creating a lot of explosive plays in that category. So, like you said, does Padilla provide that spark where you're able to pass a little bit more in first and second out, open things up and force defenses to maybe not have as many guys in the box on you and give Goodson some rushing lanes? And one of the things we saw about in the game against uh, Northwestern is Iowa did a lot more motion than what we typically seen. So when they played Wisconsin, one of the things that one of the interesting comments that came out of that game, there were several Wisconsin defenders saying we knew exactly where they were running the football. That's not usually a good sign when the entire defense knows exactly where the football is going. Yeah. It's going to happen at times when Iowa lines up and it's a fourth and one and the quarterbacks under center. Yeah. We're probably doing a quarterback sneak. We get that, but you don't want the defense to know exactly where you're running the football at, at every given time. And when you incorporate motion into that, it requires the linebackers to be looking to see, is that guy going to get a football? And they did that against Northwestern. They ran the motion three or four times to Arlen Bruce. And the fifth time they give it to him touchdown. So, I mean, we're starting to incorporate a few more misdirection type principles. We saw some interesting stuff where um, we did some counter plays, which we haven't really done a lot of this year as well. Uh, with the tight end being a backside pull tight end. I mean, it's it's been interesting to see, but Northwestern gave me some hope in regards to how our running game is hopefully progressing. Um, so we'll see how that – and obviously Northwestern is the worst rushing defense in the entire nation, so <laughs> we probably could have just lined up anyone back there and got a few yards. But nevertheless, it was nice to see them incorporate a few more misdirection-type principles. Yeah, and you look at college football, it's interesting you brought that up because motion is something that's up across the country. And teams are using, you know, it was a craze in the NFL to use motion to identify coverage, get better angles, improve matchups. And I think you're starting to see that craze come into college football. I actually thought it was something that Iowa's defense sort of struggled with against Purdue was the amount of motion that Jeff Brom threw at him. And then, you know, you're flooding three receivers to one side and somehow you get man coverage and David Bell comes loose for a touchdown. I mean, it was just Hankins. I noticed something with Hankins is he's not as good covering downfield. He's not as good when he's moving away from from the defense, when he's got to cover a crossing route or something like he, he does not handle receivers who are on the move as well. So I've noted that in preparation for this game. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there's one play I can specifically recall uh, against Iowa State. Wide receiver arguably had Matt Hankins beat deep. Brock Purdy under through the ball, and Matt Hankins picks it. Matt Hankins the hero. Matt Hankins mm-hmm. was beat. I mean, he yeah. he was beat on that play, like, and, and the ball was underthrown. So thankfully, he was there. I think that's why the Riley Moss return is going to be really helpful. Matt Hankins is a fantastic zone corner, a guy who has safety help over top. But when you put in man coverage, it does get a little bit concerning. There, they wanted to rely on him, but he he hasn't been that guy with Riley Moss out. Riley Moss <laughs> has been an interesting an interesting situation for the last four years. Iowa fans have been up and down on their relationship with Riley Moss. Uh, because he'll he'll have a great game and then follow it up with Kent State where he allows a guy to go behind him. But overall, Riley Moss is locked in. He's our best cover corner on this team. And he's a guy who, even if he's not the most technically sound cover corner, and I'm not saying that he isn't, he has the speed 
to make up for. He's a state champion, I believe, in the hurdles, um, has the state record potentially in the hurdles as well. I mean, this is a fast guy. So having Riley Moss back will be really huge as well. Yeah, is Terry Roberts going to play in the game too? It sounds like he might be back. Yeah, I haven't I haven't had a chance to watch Kirk Ferentz's press conference yet, so I know when people are listening to this, um, it's going to be dropping on Friday, I believe. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. I haven't had a chance to go through Kirk Ferentz's press conference. Um, with injuries, whenever <laughs> a guy is almost ready for Iowa, it's like four more weeks till they actually play. Um, Kirk very, very, very much embodies the next man up principle. Uh, I don't think you can afford to do that with Riley Moss. I think you, if he, if he's 95%, you got to get him in the game. Terry Roberts being a part of this game is huge, not just from a defensive perspective, but being on the special teams. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. he, him and Tory really Taylor is what well, it, it is phenomenal what he can do on special teams. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I haven't had a chance to take a look at that yet, but um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a stressful game nevertheless. And I'm, I'm hoping for some uh, old man spite from Kirk Ferentz after the game towards PJ Fleck, get this, get this big 10, you know, controversy rolling again. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. What if PJ just burns all the timeouts at the end of Minnesota's up just absolute savage move. And then Ferentz does it again or something. I, I just, I, I enjoyed that last year, that little back and forth. It was great. It's Kirk. So I was talking to LaShawn Daniels, the former Iowa running back. He was telling me that they literally play like the Minnesota hate Iowa's like chant in the locker room all week during this week. And that by the end of this week, Everyone is so tired of Minnesota and they hate Minnesota so freaking much that they just want to kill everyone on that team. And it includes the coaches like Kirk hates Minnesota, Brian. I mean, it's, I didn't realize how important this rivalry was to the staff. I assume Minnesota was second or third on the list, third or fourth, not to me. I mean, the way, the way LaShawn talked about this game is it is the most important game for Iowa. And, and honestly, I feel like it's that way at Minnesota, too. Like, everyone says Wisconsin and Minnesota. It's certainly a big rivalry. But this one here, over the course of the last, like, five or six years, I feel like it's, it's, it's gotten even more electric. P.J. Fleck being here, I don't like P.J. Fleck. I think he's a turd. But uh, he's done amazing things with this program, and he has made this game so much more fun. So I definitely – I can respect him. I don't like him, but I can respect him. I'm excited for the game. Always fun. Iowa City, Minnesota, Pig. It'll be a great game. Should be a lot of fun. Daniel, thank you again for coming on. Where can folks find you at? You can check out my work on gophersguru.com. $5 a month for the premium subscription. Get you access to all the, the breakdowns and analytics stuff, all the unique content that I'm putting out. I love man. Daniel, as always, it's a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we talk again after an Iowa win, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all, and that does do it for our show today. I want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. If you want more Locked On content and want to know how to bet tonight's games, go to Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Paramount Sports' Lee Sterling. And again, thank you all for tuning in. We are going to be back on Sunday giving you a recap with LaShawn Daniels as we do every single Sunday, hopefully after an Iowa victory over Minnesota. I hope you all have a fantastic Friday and even better weekend. And as always, Hawkeye Nation, let's go Hawks.